0: Latitude Media, podcast at the frontier of climate technology. If you look at any chart showing global battery storage installs, they are up and to the right. I'm looking at a chart right now from Bloomberg New Energy Finance showing yearly storage capacity. And in 2016, there's a little blip that represents hundreds of megawatts of installations. It seemed big at the time. And then there's this huge spike in 2023 when 110 gigawatts, representing 372 gigawatt hours of capacity, were installed. And if you go all the way to 2030, we see 650 gigawatts and more than 1.8 terawatt hours of capacity. It illustrates the battery storage era has firmly arrived.
1: Gosh, there's so much that has actually changed. It's always an exercise of like learning new things about the market dynamics and adjusting our view as as a result of that.
0: Yayoi Sakine is the head of energy storage at Bloomberg New Energy Finance. She's been covering the market since 2016. Among the trends that caused adjustments last year, the surge in gigawatt hour scale projects and a record drop in system costs which both helped battery installs surge way beyond what was expected.
1: I feel like every time we sit down to do a forecast, it's a little bit like there's something that's surprising. And I think over the course of the last two years in particular, that was China.
0: China has long dominated battery manufacturing and critical minerals processing. And now China is becoming the dominant market in installing those batteries on the grid
1: the policy over over the course of like post-pandemic, during pandemic years, um, really shifted towards like building big batteries in China. And that's to the scale of like increasing our forecast by 40% from one half to the next.
0: Is it part of the ritual every year to just keep adjusting the numbers upward? <laughs>
1: We do have to constantly be reconsidering our assumptions. And that's kind of like part of what is fun about the job is, is because the market is changing so rapidly. But the scale at which it's been happening, it's really informing the way we're thinking about the pricing and battery environment today.
0: The battery storage market is changing quickly. From manufacturing expansions to accommodate EVs, to new chemistries and designs, to shifts in duration for grid-connected systems, it's one of the most dynamic sectors of the clean energy economy.
1: I think now we're, we're currently at an environment where the industry is actually able to sustain itself in terms of its own battery manufacturing and supply chains. And I think that's a pretty big shift, and that's happened very recently, and a very exciting time to be following the market.
0: This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. This week, a conversation with Yayoi Sekine of BNEF on the pricing, tech, and deployment trends that are shaping battery storage. I want to take a brief moment to talk about the new season of the Big Switch podcast. We've been working on this for the last six months. We're so excited to bring it to you. Our production team at Latitude Media has been working for years with Dr. Melissa Lott and the team at Columbia University Center on Global Energy Policy uh, to make the Big Switch. It's a narrative show about how to rebuild our energy systems. And we are back with a five-part series exploring the supply chains behind lithium-ion batteries and the very complicated economic and political forces that come As batteries take over the world. So in this season, we break batteries apart, go to mining operations, manufacturing facilities, recycling plants, and talk to some of the most prominent experts about the pitfalls and promise of our expanding battery-based energy economy. And you'll hear the trailer a bit later in the show. So if this sounds like something you want to listen to, find The Big Switch anywhere you get your podcasts. Last month, Yayoi's team put out a report on 10 things to watch in storage, covering both stationary grid-connected systems and EV batteries. So I sat down with her to walk through many of those trends. The first one we tackled, pricing. In 2022, we saw battery prices rise for the first time in history, a reflection of the price spikes in commodities and lithium. Then a couple things happened. Materials prices eased, and Chinese producers ramped up fast. And an oversupply in the market pushed battery packs and turnkey system costs downward once again.
1: That ramp-up was quite significant over the course of 2022 and 2023. Um, In the end of 2023, we we have about 2.6 terawatt-hours of commission capacity confirmed globally. We we haven't tallied out uh, tallied up all the capacity just yet, but it's likely to be more than three terawatt hours in terms of total lithium-ion battery cell manufacturing capacity, and that's more or less a forty percent growth just in terms of capacity to produce batteries battery cells in 2023. So it's pretty pretty impressive in terms of growth, and we've seen significant growth across other components as well, so cathode, anode, and um, electrolyte, and other components in the value chain as well. Um, and then further, even further back to that, a lot of mining supply also coming online. So I mentioned lithium. Um, a big function of that is the fact that a lot of lithium mines and refining capacity came online in, in 2023. But the the other piece that um I think gets a little bit underappreciated, but obviously has a knock-on effect around prices, is the fact that EV demand, like electric vehicle demand, um, did it didn't actually slow. It was a record year, um, but according to a lot of uh, of the industries and companies' expectations, the market it was a bit slower than the growth that was expected. Um, so that has a knock on effect around like the the demand for lithium and obviously price for lithium, which ended up actually pushing prices down.
0: Yeah. Well, let, let's just talk about where we think pricing will head this year and beyond. Are we on a continued downward trajectory?
1: Yeah. Are um, Like Our our expectation at BNF is that prices will drop this year, Um, so drop about 6%. So um, we averaged last year, just as a a pricing point, we averaged at about $139 per kilowatt hour um, on a volume average basis, so that includes all segments that we track. Um, And our expectation is that it'll drop about 6% this year to about $133 per kilowatt hour. Um, and the way we actually do the uh, the forecasts or the expectation for battery prices for this year and the next three years is based on, um, firstly, like industry expectation on metal prices. Um, so this is taken into consideration the expectation that lithium, nickel, um, yeah, I think those are the two main ones, but cobalt as well, um, the, the prices for those ba- major battery metals will come down. Um, and then essentially using those metal prices to inform and calculate what our near-term expectations for prices will be over the next three years. So generally, prices will come down, probably not as much as we saw between 2022 and 2023, where it was a 14% drop, but still progressing downwards over the course of this year.
0: Can you provide, for those who are not in the battery industry, can you provide a little context on what that kind of pricing actually means? In terms of electric vehicle costs, in terms of cost of projects out in the field, stationary storage projects out in the field, like what does this enable you to do?
1: Yeah, so those prices are what we call battery pack prices for EVs and battery rack prices for stationary storage. In the EV space, like the the actual cost of the battery relative to the total car really depends on on the vehicle size and the battery capacity. Um, we we kind of ballpark it at 30%, but it could be much higher than that if it's like a very big battery pack in a smaller, like, um, depending on the vehicle frame. Um, but say it's about a third, it could be more than that. Um, in the stationary storage space, um, the battery racks are the biggest portion of the storage system costs, um, can range between 50 to 60% of a total in, in um, turnkey energy storage system. So if you can't get the battery prices down, then it's very hard for you to actually compress the prices. So the fact that lithium-ion battery prices have dropped like 90% over the last decade, that's been a huge way in which like EVs have become cheaper and stationary storage has become more affordable.
0: So let's talk a little bit about this ramp up in um, manufacturing capacity. It's it's starting to put some pressure on smaller producers I can remember at the turn of the last decade when we saw the great solar shakeout and the dominance of Chinese solar producers caused a lot of um, European, North American companies to go out of business or consolidate, and even many smaller Chinese manufacturers went out of business pretty quickly. So what kind of, um, is, is that something that you see happening in the battery space? Like, What kind of market shakeout do you see coming here?
1: I think there's a lot of parallels to what has happened and is happening in the solar market um, with what we're seeing with the battery industry today. In particular, last year and this year are where we see these dynamics pretty similar in terms of the way we expect the industry to shake out. Um, we, we can't yet make a call as to which companies might lose out, but we can generally say like when you have 3X, Battery like manufacturing capacity relative to total demands in the global market, which is where we are, um, where we were in 2023, you kind of expect there to be some some shakeup because not every company is able to ramp up a gigawatt hour factory and then run it at uh, at, at a um, at a production rate that will make sense for them. If the whole industry is doing that, that means there's there's a massive oversupply of batteries. But you can't also not run the the facility and then actually expect to make some money out of it. So, um, so a lot of companies are in this really awkward position of okay, we need to produce, um, and we don't want to run at a loss. But you know what what what, are, what is the alternative? So we'd rather produce and run um, and actually cost these batteries at cost or even lower. Um, we've seen very, very low lithium-ion battery prices in China and towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, um, and that's really a function of of, um, of these market tensions that we're seeing. I do think it actually looks different if you compare like companies that are big and already have large standing like contracts with large, um, large. OEMs or large automakers, because in a way they already have an anchor customer, they might have you know, a, sh- a, a bit less of a demand if that customer didn't have um, as much EV sales as they were hoping for. Um, but in a way, you're, you're kind of shielded from just being in a market where you're just producing batteries and hoping to find a customer, um, which is the case of a lot of these newer battery manufacturers, battery cell manufacturers who are uh, you know, scaling up gigawatt hour factories, um, and trying to find like a master supply agreement with a storage integrator, um, but actually be in a market where there's you know tens or, or tens or maybe hundreds of companies trying to do some something similar.
0: What's the end result? I mean, are there a lot of companies that are go out go out of business, and then what will that do to capacity?
1: Yeah, so I think there's two things: um, probably some consolidation and com- some companies losing out. Like the market can't sustain itself. Um, If we are to simply look at the overall capacity that's expected to come online based on company announcements between now and 2025, that factor that I mentioned, 3x um, of battery capacity relative to demand today or in 2023, that actually becomes worse over the next couple of years. Um, So really, like if you're building or having plans to build a gigafactory, you're probably making an assessment now, okay, do I want to move forward with this plan Um, If that if that um, dynamic is just going to become worse over the next couple of years. Um, And I guess what we're seeing in say in the US context um, and perhaps again tied to that like slowing EV demand or slowing growth um, slowing the growth of EV demand. Um, is that companies are slowing their their capacity expansion plans. I think that's the first thing that happens. So they might still go forward if they're ready with a facility under construction, um, but they might slow the rate at which they're adding new, say, production lines within that. Yeah, and then on the supply side, I think there, is, there are companies that are yeah that are, are probably going to fail, right, so if they can't produce to a market that wants to buy their sales. Um they run at a, at a loss, um, and, but you can't really sustain that long term. So I think there's a lot of potential for consolidation. Um, so companies might buy out each other's equipment or manufacturing lines, um, and then expand their own. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and and what about companies that are setting up shop in the U.S. after in the wake of the Inflation Reduction Act? I mean, will we see a shakeout here? Even though. We're, you know, a lot of the incentives are promoting a ramp up in production in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, in the case of the U.S., it's very different because it's a very, like, nascent battery manufacturing market. There will be some impact of what's happening in China with with how it shakes up in the U.S. Um, but in a lot of ways, as you say, like the Inflation Reduction Act is quite an important, um, I guess, piece of legislation supporting the battery manufacturing industry um, and providing incentives for the production of batteries and modules in the US. So that $35 per kilowatt hour for the cells and plus the $10 per kilowatt hour for the for, for the modules, that helps to provide that cushioning in terms of the cost competitiveness with China. And then there are other things like in the EV credit, you you are required to, to manufacture battery components um, in North America, which essentially means if you want to qualify for half that credit, then you have to have the manufacturing facilities within North America. So there's a lot of structures that help support the industry in the U.S. That said, there has been a few um, few examples already. So even though last year we saw a record number of like commitments towards clean energy supply chains in general in the U.S., most of which were for EVs, um, EVs and and batteries. So about more than 100 billion dollars committed towards EV and batteries supply chains. Um, we have seen a couple of examples like LG Energy Solution, Our next Energy actually so- slowing down the ramp up of their of their uh, manufacturing plans over the next couple of years. And yeah, of course, there's other, there are other examples of automakers actually slowing their EV plans or just pushing out their EV targets. So I think that these are going to obviously have a knock-on effect on the battery manufacturing space, but I don't think the whole industry is at risk. We probably see just delays around some of the plans.
0: I'm Dr. Melissa Latt, and I'm the host of The Big Switch, a show about how to rebuild our energy systems. Batteries are finding their way into everything from cars and heavy equipment to the electric grid, but scaling up production to meet the demands of a net zero economy is complicated. And it's contentious. If every country says we need to own the entire supply chain because we want all of those economic benefits, it's going to make the clean energy transition so much harder. In a new five-part series, we're digging into the global battery supply chain, from mining to manufacturing. And we're asking what gets mined, traded, and consumed on the road to decarbonization. If we think climate change is the existential threat facing our planet, we have to be having a broad conversation about where we want to get the minerals that build these products. Listen to The Big Switch from Columbia University's SIPA Center on Global Energy Policy, available on February 28th, wherever you get your podcasts. So I want to look at Stationary storage and electric vehicles. Um, Let's go to stationary storage first and talk about some of the trends driving that application. Um, First of all, the stationary battery deployments hit a new record in 2023 at 100 gigawatt hours, according to your analysis. And the dominant markets are China, the US, and Europe, with uh, China being the dominant market. Um, What are the similarities and differences in each of these markets?
1: I think the main similarity is the fact that a lot of these markets are suddenly getting a huge scale up in terms of new projects and capacities coming online. But the business models and the use cases for batteries are are actually very, very different across the markets. So in the case of the US, which is about 30% of the total market in terms of deployments in 2023 on a gigawatt hour terms. It's a fairly, like, diversified market. So we see, like, a lot of different states doing different things, Um, a lot of the utilities contracting different types of projects. Um, And then on the utility scale fronts, in terms of which markets were the biggest markets in the U.S., It was California, not uh, not surprisingly, um, are still building a lot of big big batteries. There was the Moss Landing battery project, which by itself was more than one gigawatt hour. Um, There was the second biggest like regional market was actually the Southwest last year. Um, So that's like Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, bringing in a lot of big projects online. Um, A lot of these are are tied to solar and storage PPAs or capacity driven contracts with a utility. Um, And then Texas, which is in itself quite distinct to to those two other regions, right, where a lot of the battery projects that are being built there are primarily for merchant purposes, initially targeting ancillary services, doing a bit more on energy, especially in the summer where where there's a lot of volatility in the energy prices and and a a lot of peak prices um, in specific days. That's the U.S., a very diversified market, accelerated, obviously, with the Inflation Reduction Act and the relevant um, ITC, the Investment Tax Credit, supporting the industry there. But if you look at China, which actually in gigawatt-hour terms was was bigger than the U.S. by just a little bit, so it represents about 45% of the total global market in gigawatt-hour terms. In gigawatt terms, it's actually higher. It's almost half the global market. Um, And that's because the batteries in China are closer to, are mainly to our projects compared to the U.S., where a lot of the projects are going towards four hours. Um, And in the case of China, it is still regionally, like, different market. But generally the one story is renewable integration mandates actually drive the market. So essentially in China, about like more than 20, I want to say 26 provinces in China have mandates for if you want to build a new solar project or a new wind project, you need to attach batteries to it. And the ratio at which you attach batteries actually depends on which province and which technology you're connecting. Um, So it can be between 5% to over 20% in some cases. And the reason why they're doing that is in part to push the storage market, um, but it's also because they're adding a lot of wind and solar capacity. Um, and so the grids are becoming quite a constraint in terms of adding new builds and trying to help that connection um, and integration of new, new storage or new um, wind and solar projects there.
0: And then let's go to Europe now. What's happening in Europe that makes it particularly unique?
1: With Europe, I would say the piece that really was interesting over the course of the pandemic in particular was like was and is the residential market. Um, so the residential market is still an important part of the US but it's a much smaller percentage of total build compared to Europe. Just for some context around the residential storage market in, in Europe, the biggest market there biggest markets there are essentially Germany which historically had been heavily like supported through subsidies. Um, but increasingly just transitioned to a market where, you know, anyone who's adding a a PV system to their home just wants to add a battery. So the attachment rates there are quite high. Um, And most of that is actually not driven by subsidies. Um, But the other market that's really interesting is Italy. Um, And that's definitely subsidy driven. They provide, um, they've provided, they actually stepped that down, but essentially provided a super bonus I, I kind of like the name of that scheme. But anyway, a super bonus, which um, is essentially awarding a 110% um, tax credit for any investment made to home energy efficiency improvements. And so everyone who wanted to build a battery would, was just rushing to, to claim that bonus. And that's like driven quite a few gigawatt hours of, of residential batteries in, in Italy.
0: And then when we look at long-duration storage deployments, you're seeing those increase. What durations are we talking about when we talk about long-duration energy storage? And what applications are you seeing LDES storage projects meet?
1: I feel like there's if you go to different people in the industry, they'll say long-duration is a very different bracket depending on where they sit in that, um, in that technology map. Um, the way we see it at BNF, we typically categorize anything that's long-duration as more than six hours. The DOE, for example, they categorize 10 hours plus. If you go to China, four hours plus. Um, we've taken six hours because it, it gives us a good sense of, okay, you can divide the, the day in, in four, and that's more or less like a cycle that's a longer duration compared to the typical four hours that we see today.
0: And for the much longer duration storage projects that are maybe over six hours, are there any particularly unique applications there?
1: Yeah, so there's definitely a difference between that initial six hours to like what we might call like a diurnal pattern of charge and discharge versus having like a weekly or seasonal type of storage where you're just holding the energy until um, for different parts of more different seasons of the year. Um, today, the Eldes market is not a huge market. Um, what we see is more like pockets of specific projects and companies Developing different kinds of projects, either supported by some form of policy mechanism or grants. We, we see a lot of grants in the case of the U.S., um, or like some kind of pilot program, um, which I guess is the case of some of the California projects um, supported by the idea that, you know, companies and utilities think that long duration energy storage will be important over the coming decade, decades. But then they kind of want to start now to figure out how to structure those contracts, support the technologies that that might be needed once we get down to the 2030s when there's more requirements or more need for long duration energy storage, um, the very very long long duration energy storage, the stuff that we might call seasonal energy storage. Um, I think the more the activity that we see, more um, more investment around that is actually around hydrogen and that that economy. We have a whole team that covers hydrogen. Um, but yeah, I think that the question is more like between the, that seasonal use case versus the more like diurnal and weekly use cases. What kind of technologies and what are the, the actual needs are we, are we going to see in the storage market or, or in the LDS market? Yeah, I don't have one answer just yet. It's research that is ongoing in terms of what we're doing. And it depends very much on the market. So, different parts of the US, that use case will look very different between California versus PJM, um, similar globally.
0: Let's go to electric vehicles now. Um, I want to talk about some tech shifts that we're seeing in uh, EV battery manufacturing. The first is that lithium iron phosphate batteries are picking up market share. Um, This is a technology pretty common in China. Why are lithium iron phosphates? gaining so much traction right now. And and talk about the difference in technology compared to lithium-ion battery with cathodes that use nickel and cobalt.
1: It's definitely this long history that's culminated in this current snapshot of what we see is like this this race between LFP, lithium lithium iron phosphate versus the NMC and CA cathodes. So um I can say like currently in terms of the fundamentals around why uh, companies would choose LFP, uh, that's definitely cost. Um, The input cost for lithium iron phosphates is lower than for cathodes that use nickel and cobalt and aluminum um, um, or manganese. And generally speaking, so if you can, and because the cost is an important factor for you to drive costs around EVs, And stationary storage, that's a huge factor as to why you would go for um, LFP. But in the past, it wasn't like a slam dunk or seen as a slam dunk technology necessarily. Um, The reason why was because energy density was not quite where it had to be in order for you to have like long range vehicles. That's a huge factor in the U.S. market, for example, where, you know, the expectation is for you to have 300, 400 miles of driving range.
0: Um, so we want because, our cars big, and we want them to be able to drive for a long period of time. <laughs> yes,
1: unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, however yeah, you yeah. want to see that, <laughs> is, you know, the function of how the market is structured or cons- consumer preferences. Um, so you still need a quite a big battery that ends up being very heavy, and the heavier it is, the the harder is it is for you to take it farther if you have an uh, uh, a uh, chemistry that's not very energy dense. Um, But over the course of the last, I would say like five years, um, maybe even a bit less, there's been significant improvements in the pack, the cell to pack integration of the batteries Um, for LFP in particular, that's been a huge gain in terms of the pack energy density improvements. Um, And that's had a a significant impact on the uptake of LFP for electric vehicles. So we're seeing a lot more of the companies. Obviously, we had seen a lot of LFP in batteries and EVs in China. Um, But actually now we see like VW, Ford, um, GM, all committing to a a product roadmap of EVs that includes LFP batteries. So it is a very important part of a lot of the company's strategies in part to reduce costs, but also recognizing that the performance is actually at a place where they can offer these to consumers um, at a good range.
0: Are there any other major developments happening in EV battery manufacturing, either on the performance side or on the capacity expansion side that are worth talking about?
1: Yeah. So the three that we looked at last year at BNEF were, um, the first was like next generation anodes. So in the past, there's been a lot of focus around cathodes, which is the most expensive part, part of the batteries. But actually, there's a lot of innovation happening on the anode side, um, which is really exciting. Um, and the reason why there wasn't so much focus was in part because it's primarily graphite, which is a very low-cost low material. Um, but, but once you get to a level of energy density where you want to increase the energy density on the cathode side, you also have to kind of up the energy density on, on the anode side as well. And one of the ways you can do that is by like adding something like silicon into the graphite. Um, And you can essentially improve the energy density or the energy capacity, um, the specific energy capacity, as you call it, to improve the energy density of a battery. Um, And then there are other innovations that are happening, like potentially moving to more silicon, maybe eventually even using like pure lithium metal on the anode side. So there there is a lot of innovation actually happening. A lot of U.S.-based companies actually focusing on on those. Um, So quite exciting. The other one, uh, not mutually exclusive, I suppose, but the other one is like gets a lot of attention is solid state batteries. Um, So that's essentially like using a solid electrolyte instead of what today is the incumbent technology, liquid electrolyte. Um, A lot of the companies are testing with something like solid and and like a hybrid electrolyte, so using both solid and liquid. Um, But of course, if you're able to fully do it as a solid, um, you actually can have a lot of the benefits around energy density and fast charging um, that you can't necessarily achieve in the current lithium ion battery uh, technology space. And you can also just change the way you design the batteries, which can be really exciting. You can design new types of vehicles because the batteries can be designed in a different way. Um, So there's a lot of interest um, and investment going to solid-state batteries, our view is in terms of mass commercialization, that's probably like around like post 2030 with a lot of investment actually going into that now. So like QuantumScape and other companies trying to do that are kind of moving a path that's hard to do. Um, but, but but we expect that eventually come. We'll, we'll eventually get there. And the question is just around, like, will lithium-ion batteries, like the incumbent technology, drop so much in cost by then and improve so much by then that maybe there isn't as much of a huge market share for solid-state batteries? Um, and will they primarily be, be focused on very um, in more high-performance applications? So things like aviation, um, or, yeah, aviation is a good example there.
0: So if we look out to... The end of the decade to 2030. Are there any storylines that you think are going to dominate by then that either are emerging today or are kind of unknowns that you think will be fully formed by the end of the decade?
1: There's so many. <laughs> um, I I think the fully formed ones are probably around giggle at our scale projects. We see a couple of examples of those today, but I think expecting them to be the norm of how company like a lot of large scale projects might go forward i imagine that's going to be the case like that becoming a standard of large-scale development gigawatt hour scale batteries on the technology front there's there's a fair bit i mentioned a couple of the technologies the other one that we're looking at is like say something like sodium ion batteries or other technologies that just doesn't don't use lithium that would be important in the case where there's like some supply crunches on the lithium side or in particular because we need to build up a lot of mining capacity for lithium so um potential of sodium ion batteries to even take a portion of the market share in either either or or both EVs and stationary storage. I think that that's pretty exciting. Um, and then I think the other thing is just around like how much of a norm will be building batteries together with new solar and new winds, and what is the role of those combinations and together with something like hydrogen as well. So um, I think those are still questions that um, are up in the air and excited to see where that goes.
0: Well, Yayoi, thank you so much. We'll be following the analysis. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Great to be here with you.
0: That's going to do it for the show this week. The Carbon Copy is a production of Latitude Media. It's produced and written by me. Sean Markwand is our technical director who mixes the show and wrote our theme song. Go to latitudemedia.com where you can get all our stories, our show notes, and transcripts for all of our podcasts. Latitude Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude backs visionaries accelerating climate innovation that will reshape the global economy. Learn more about their portfolio and investment strategy at PreludeVentures.com. And uh, spread the word any way you can. Shoot a link to someone who you think would like this show. In the industry or who wants to learn more about these forces shaping the clean energy economy, hit us up on X or LinkedIn or wherever you're active on these issues and give us a rating if you have a moment. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for being here. I'm Stephen Lacey and this is The Carbon Copy.